Good morning, church. Oh, come on. Good morning, church. It's a beautiful day today. Beautiful day today. It's even better to be inside and be in here to worship the Lord and with his people. And so uh, today, if you're new and you're here with us, we invite you to join in and participate. We're happy that you're here. You're welcome. Uh, I'll give you hope. They let me in. They'll definitely let you in. And uh, we're happy that you're here today. Today, I want to uh, introduce very quickly about our missions conference. It's coming up the first two weekends in March. It's sailed here uh, annually. Church is very supportive of missionary work. And so uh, we're going to intro a video today. I'll share with you real quickly, and most of you probably already know this, but life is a lot about connections and about when you're willing to walk in the sight of the Lord and in his will, he'll place you in places that you never thought you'd go and meet people you never thought you'd see. And I look out through this group, and uh, long before I ever started to worship here with you folks, I knew so many of you from so many different aspects. And it's really amazing in my life um, that I'm going to stand before you today and introduce a Nichols, and yet I married one. And, um, and it was been, it's the best part of my life, and uh, I've been very, very blessed in that effort. So today I'm very honored to introduce to you two missionaries, uh, Sarah Nichols, who most of you know and grew up here, and also Emily Radley. And they uh, participate and are two uh, single ladies that are missionaries for the Lord's work. They work uh, through YWAM in Orlando, Florida. YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission. This is a great video uh, that will explain a little bit about their work over the last year or two. It was done around Christmas time, and uh, it explains to an opportunity for those of, of us of any age who are willing to be uh, discipled and learn more about Jesus, about the Bible and his word, but also about outreach and reaching out into the field. So I encourage you to listen. Uh, it's very interesting, very entertaining, as you might imagine. And uh, also today, uh, I ask you to be in prayer because Sarah is coming back uh, today or this week from Mexico and leading an outreach team. And also for her sister, uh, Naomi, and her daughter, uh, Adeline, who left early this morning to go to Guatemala to do outreach there. So I uh, invite you to listen in. Hi, guys. Um, hi, Grace Community Church at Deerfoot. Hello. This is um, Sarah. And Emily. Emily. <laughs> Radley. Uh, Y'all know me. Y'all know Emily. The church has supported both of us. Um, we are on staff at Youth of the Mission Orlando. Um, we've been on staff for six years mm -hmm. um, this year. And so we just wanted to get on here and say, first off, thank you guys mm -hmm. for supporting us for so long. Um, I know the church has supported me for about, I think, the whole six years. And I think they've supported Emily for about like four, three, four three years. Three or four yeah. years. Um, and it's just like we wouldn't be able to do the things that we feel the Lord's called us to do without mm -hmm. you guys and without your faithfulness. Um, it's really awesome because there's a lot of people on on staff at YWAM, Youth with the Mission Orlando, with us that actually don't have any churches that support them. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we're able to like talk about our home church, it's actually really awesome because we can be like, um, we have a church, you know, they support us monthly. And just the faithfulness that that helps to bring faith and hope mm -hmm. to the people even at Orlando that there are churches that do want to like support people is really encouraging to a lot of younger staff that join um, that are learning how to support raise and learning how to do missions and mm -hmm. stuff so I love that y'all support us thank you so much for that yeah thank you for all your prayers mm -hmm. for this past couple of years for both of us just in what the Lord is doing with 
YM Orlando and with us as a whole mm -hmm. down there. Yeah, it's been a really crazy year. Um, last year with COVID-19, we ended up not like shutting down our campus. We mm -hmm. kept having schools. We actually sent outreach teams overseas. Um, and for those that don't know, Youth with the Mission Orlando has this program called a Discipleship Training School. Mm -hmm. It's a five-month missionary training experience where people get to come and they experience um, intercultural ministry, learning how to share the gospel, things like that for three months in Orlando on our campus. And then for two months overseas, they go on an outreach. And even last year during COVID, we didn't have to cancel any of our outreaches, mm -hmm. which was amazing. A lot of other YWAM campuses had to cancel. They weren't able to have teams overseas, but we, um, our leadership at YWAM Orlando prayed about it and really felt that we were supposed to keep our teams going overseas. And the Lord opened the door for us to be able to take teams to Tanzania and Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen amazing fruit come yeah. from that. Emily actually got to lead one of those teams um, <laughs> uh, this year. Um, she was the school leader too. Mm -hmm. uh, what were some of the stats? Um, so we took a group of 33 to Tanzania uh, for two months and we saw incredible things that the Lord did in that country and just what the Lord wants to do in that country. Um, and from my trip alone, I know our stats have grown exponentially yeah. just from the other trips that we've taken. Because we've sent five teams mm -hmm. there so far, five yeah. or six teams. Um, so just from my trip alone, we were able to minister to 3,517 people. Um, we shared the gospel with 1,197 people mm -hmm. and um, 580 Tanzanians actually accepted the Lord into their hearts just through us sharing the gospel and us um, going house to house and praying for them and um, yeah, just doing mercy ministries with them. Yeah. So it was an amazing time. Um, it was an eye-opening time for sure. Uh, but the Lord is doing so much in Tanzania right now. Yeah, he's moving a lot. So we, that's one of our main outreach locations mm -hmm. that we take teams to. Um, this past year, um, for me personally, I worked in our student communications team, which is calling students and helping with their application processes. Um, I did that all the first part of the year in the winter and spring quarters. Um, so my main focus was calling students. I was able to share the gospel over the phone multiple mm -hmm. times with students. Um, I have been prayed for like someone's back pain to go away and their back pain went away when I prayed for them over the phone. Um, I got to lead someone to the Lord over the phone. Um, so being able to like be the first person that students talk to on the phone is a really honor that like I really like I'm amazed I get to do. Um, that's what we call our backbone ministry. So when mm -hmm. I'm not working with our DTS, our schools, I get to do that. I talk to students and call them. And then over the summer, as some of you saw, I was able to go to Hawaii for five weeks where I did some training. Um, I helped YWAM Kona and YWAM Ships with some of their application processes. And then I, I was also able to do a um, school called 21 Project. And with that school, I was able to learn how to do uh, gospel sharing in different um, cultures mm. and in different uh, settings. So how to share the gospel in 30 seconds, two minutes, 10 minutes, and 15 minutes. Um, how to do preaching and teaching, different things like that, which has been awesome because this fall I am staffing our discipleship training school and I'm leading a team to Mexico. And because of the training I was able to do in the summer, I've been able to put that into practice, teaching our students how to share the gospel. So mm -hmm. that's been one of my main things. This fall, we started a thing called Messengers Track in the fall DTS, and it's been so much fun. Every Friday, we take 45 minutes to an hour and we teach our students how to share the gospel um, in different settings. We teach them 
how to do a clean breakup from sin. So how to lead someone to the Lord through the gospel. And then if they're still stuck in sin, how to disciple that. Um, and it's been awesome. We've had so many students come to us and tell us that that's been like one of their favorite things. Um, so yeah, it's been great. It's been a really awesome quarter. I love our students. They're so awesome. Um, I will be starting in January 2020. 2022 I'm going to be with my Mexico team for six weeks um, and so next year just looks like probably doing more stuff with schools um, uh, staffing schools I may be staffing one of our Bible schools that I took last year um, it's called a discipleship Bible school potentially leading an outreach with that so just a lot of stuff with schools I'll probably be in student con calling students making sure that they know the stuff that they have to get in for our schools and praying for them ahead of time so yeah but it's been great we I love being on staff there um, I also got my home last year, which has been a huge blessing. Yeah. I, like, yeah, Emily, Emily also loves it because we get to spend a lot of time there, like chilling and hanging mm -hmm. out. It's a nice place. And I've been able to have small groups there and worship nights there. And that's just been a huge blessing. So thank you so much for mm -hmm. just supporting me in that as well. So, but it's been great. Mm -hmm. um, this past year, I have worked with our secondary school called the School of Cross-Cultural Missions, which helps equip some of our secondary students in preparing to live overseas long-term. Um, and in the spring and summer, I was able to lead one of our mm -hmm. discipleship training schools. Um, and I had about seven staff to help me run that school. And we also, three of us led the team, the school over to Tanzania for two months. And we were able to help um, and like I said, like Mercy Ministries help plant another outreach base mm -hmm. in one of the remote villages um, that has some unreached people. Um, and we're able to minister to Muslims. We're able to minister to fellow Christians um, within Tanzania. Graduated them. And now I am working, managing actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, our on-site coffee shop called The Depot. Um, we are currently re-renovating it for this next quarter, um, and that has been really fun, being able to teach our barista elective in how to use coffee in a coffee shop to um, preach the gospel to regular customers. Um, I have also been overseeing our community life um, events on campus. We like to throw events to make our students feel more at home and feel more of part of the family. Um, and so this past quarter, I was able to plan and host mm -hmm. our Thanksgiving um, and our Berg family Christmas party that we put on every single year. So um, within 2022, that will also be my role as managing our coffee shop, overseeing the renovations and um, continuing to plan our community life events yeah. there on campus with the hopes and dreams of maybe leading another school within the next year. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. So we just want to say thank you guys for yeah. everything, all the prayers, all the support uh, financially and through prayer that y'all showed us mm -hmm. over the last few years. Um, yeah. YWAM Youth Admission is an amazing organization. Mm -hmm. If you have any young people that are interested in doing something in missions or even just need more direction in their life, then come and talk to us, find us. Mm -hmm. We're sorry we can't be there for the missions conference, but we are praying for you guys and we're really grateful for all of, all of you. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Grace community, Grace Covenant community. Grace Covenant community church. Grace Covenant community church. I am so sorry. Grace but, community church. It's a mouthful. It's, Grace community church at Deerfoot. Yes. Thank you guys so much for your support and your prayers throughout this last year. Um, we have definitely 
definitely felt your prayers over the last year and yeah. continuing um, our our jobs at YWAM Orlando. <laughs> Amen. Bye, you guys. Bye. I don't know if that meant to be that way or not. Um, <laughs> it's either that or we're having Charismatic Sunday and uh, we decided to try something new. So everybody stand and get on your heads and we'll, we'll worship the Lord now. Uh, but no, we need to pray for uh, all that Sarah. We're proud of what Sarah is doing for the Lord and, uh, and Emily as well. Uh, this morning we're going to come and we are going to stand on our feet and we're going to stand up and we're going to uh, sing and we're going to rejoice because the Lord is king and we're going to talk about him being king and we're going to think about how awesome our God is. Let's all stand. Rejoice. The Lord is king. The microphone's on up here, guys. We can't hear each other at all up here. Okay. All right. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's sing together. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is
continue to rejoice this morning as we shout to the Lord all the earth. Let's sing together. Nothing compares to the promise 
that we have in you, Lord, because of who you are and all that you are and all that you have been and all that you're going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, Lord, we thank you that we're here today to worship you. Be with us during this hour, Lord, that your word will be honored, our worship will be accepted by you. Open our hearts, allow the Spirit of God to rule in our hearts during this worship time. These things we pray in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to listen to the words of the choir now as we continue to sing about the King because there's going to come a day when we're all going to be standing before Him and it's going to be Behold Our King and uh, we're going to be standing in awe. I heard a celebrity one time, as celebrities a lot of times will kind of mouth off about things that they obviously have no clue what it's about, but said, you know, I hope that there's a God that one day, you know, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Doesn't that sound like some celebrities we have today to say ridiculous things like that? It's a sad, sad situation when people realize that maybe they're going to stand before the Lord, but they're going to give them a piece of their mind. Folks, I think every one of us and every one of them, when we stand before the Lord, we're going to be on our knees. We're going to be on our faces in worship because it's going to be the most awesome spectacle that we have ever been. And there's going to be a sense of love. There's going to be a sense of fear because of who our God is. So I want you to listen to the words of the choir as they sing, Behold Our God.
Thank you, Ron and choir. Good morning. I thought I was supposed to tell you good morning a few minutes ago. When I got up, Ron came up. <laughs> so that's all right, Ron. It's fine. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we typically don't view videos the way that we did this morning. I didn't know if, if the video was sent that way for effect because you had to pay a little more attention, didn't you? And I thought, well, Alan should have just announced it standing on his head, right? That would have been more effective. All right. Well, why don't we pray? Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning by your spirit to learn what you would have for us today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 1994. I was 30 years old. I was in the ministry full-time in New York State. I was serving as associate pastor. And I was very, very excited about the opportunity that was before me to baptize a young man who um, I had discipled and who was ready to be baptized. And he came to see me, and his name was Bill. I won't tell you his last name. He might be watching. <laughs> you might call him. But... Um, he was uh, super excited about being baptized. And we met together. We talked about why a person is baptized, the importance of identifying ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and his, the picture that we have in his death and his resurrection. And uh, talked to him about the importance of uh, obedience to the Lord, that the scriptures tell us that we're to be baptized as followers of Christ. And uh, as we're going to look at uh, today. And uh, then we talked about the opportunity that baptism is not only those things, identification and obedience, but it's, it's a testimony. It's a public testimony. Uh, you're proclaiming to people who view the baptisms, you're proclaiming to them, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. And so I was just ecstatic at the opportunity I had. And um, when you're the associate pastor, you, you're like, well, the pastor does all the baptizing, you know. And, but he had asked me to specifically do it. I didn't really know how to handle that with Phil other than to just be straightforward. I said, Phil, Bill wants me to baptize him. He said, I think that's great. So we get up there. It's on a Sunday night, and he's in the tank. And I had kind of gone through in my mind, you know, this is the first time I have baptized anybody. Outside of my grandfather, who was baptized when I was 26 years old, and I helped my dad and his brother baptize my grandfather. But this was the first one by myself. And I'm in that tank, and that tank was huge. It's nothing like that one. Uh, this one up here is very small. Um, there's only one next week I'm a little bit concerned about, but we'll make it through. Anyway, so... I'm in this big tank, and we're, we're ready to have the baptism. And you would think that that big of a tank, there wouldn't be an issue. But when I took Bill, and he was probably about six foot one, he probably weighed about 220, something like that. Pretty big guy, and I'm not quite six one, but I might be about 220. <laughs> so I'm taking Bill down as I do. There's the little corner down on the bottom in the baptistry, and I just, bam. 
And Bill, to see him, he, he's like this. He's going down, and I hit him. He's like, That was my first experience with baptism. So if you're a little reluctant out there today, hopefully that's going to help you in determining whether or not you're going to be baptized next week. I look forward to next week's baptisms. I believe I have four currently that will be baptized. I hope by the end of the service there are several more who may want to do that because as I can understand it from the scriptures, it's just a public testimony, a really outcry. Hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I belong to Him. And you know, you think about our day and our age we live in, and, and there are so many false messages out there. So many false gods. Just like we're back in the days of the disciples, we have an opportunity to step forward and to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? It's good. And you may be sitting out there and you're going, you know that, I, I was saved when I was seven or eight, but I never have been baptized. No one's ever talked to me about the importance of that. Well, the Bible speaks to the importance of that. Um, Jesus, in his final instructions to his disciples, one of the things that he brings to the table is the issue of baptism. And I want to talk about that passage this morning. And the entire message is not on baptism, but I want to address it when I come to it in the text. Because it is a critical, of critical importance to a believer that he or she is baptized. How many of you vividly recall your salvation moment? Right? And there are some people who, who I've talked to over the years who maybe can't recall exactly when that took place. They're kind of in a you know, maybe they're a little older and they, they've kind of forgotten. It happens when you get a little older, you forget maybe exactly where you were, exactly the time. But you kind of have that moment in mind. But there ought to be a moment in time when we can remember our baptism. Having said that, do you know I don't remember mine? I was saved when I was seven. And I remember my pastor was Brother Lane. Brother Lane was about six foot two, six foot three, and he was as tall as he was round. That dude was, a, he was a big guy. He had no problem baptizing children, but I do not remember being baptized. That's sad. I know I was because my mom kept the certificate that I had, but I don't have a vivid recall of that moment in time. I think it's important we do. One of the things that I've come to over the years in pastoring is when I meet with children um, is I want them to remember that moment. I don't want it to be something when they're looking back, you know, 30, 40 years, they go, I just don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember the significance of that. Does that make sense? So I want them to remember that moment because baptism is not a moment of salvation, but it's a moment about salvation. It's a moment about Christ, about the fact that he is my Savior. He is my Lord. I want to follow him with my life. I want to surrender, publicly surrender, which is a big deal. Publicly testify, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I've given my life to him. You can watch me. You ever thought about that? It's not just 
a public demonstration of an inward change. But you're saying to people that are out in the audience, you can watch my life. I'm a follower of Christ. How's that sound? You can watch my life. I'm a follower of Christ. Well, in what uh, many have labeled um, the Great Commission passage, which it is, there's a lot there. And I kind of wanted, I was initially going to just kind of pick out the baptism piece, but the Lord wouldn't let me do that. So hopefully it'll be for you as productive as it has been for me and just kind of taking a look at the passage. So hopefully this is not upside down. It's not. Okay. So Matthew 28, let's begin in verse 16, and let's read through verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, verse 18. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, people typically read those verses, and they teach those verses. But verses 15, or 16 and 17 are critical. If you're going to understand the context of what's going on. So let's go back, and let's read 16 and 17 in light of what we just read in 18 through 20. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. Who are the 11? The 11 minus Judas. Yeah, it's very significant, and we'll look at this again when we get to 1 John. It's very significant to look at the settings, to see who's in the building, so to speak. And so we have the 11 mentioned here. But the 11 proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped. Some translations have inserted him. It's an insertion there for readability. But it says they worshipped, but some were doubtful. And then it says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying. So 16 and 17 are critical to understanding the overall context of what he says then in 18 through 20. And the way I've entitled this particular, these particular verses in 16 through 18 is encouragement and then in brackets, to the hesitant. You say, Thad, where do you get that word hesitant? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Look what it says in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some were doubtful. That word doubtful means hesitant. That's where I get that from. But notice it begins in verse 17 by saying, when they saw him, they worshipped. Um. That word worship means to bow toward. It means to fall down before. That's the idea of the word worship. Do we see illustrations of people bowing down literally to the Lord? We do. Okay, there are several illustrations in Scripture. I think of the, the vision in Isaiah 6. What do you find Isaiah doing? Bowing before the Lord Ron mentioned it this morning. We're going to be bowing before the Lord one day. Do you know that we can do that? 
without doing that like physically, but surrendering our heart and bowing before him. So there's not just this uh, issue of bowing physically, but bowing in our hearts toward the Lord. It's this idea of surrender. It's moving toward the Lord. That's the picture here of the word worship. I think a lot of times when we think of the word worship, we think of um, something contained like this. We say, well, we're in a worship service. How many of you recognize that worship's not confined to this building? It's not. We have the opportunity to bow toward the Lord while we're sitting in our cubicle at work, while we're driving in our truck. We bow toward Him. It's this idea of surrendering toward Him. That's the picture. I had a thought, and I just wrote it in the form of a question. Ah, sorry. Is it possible that worship can be absent of bowing? I think it can, obviously, physically, but in terms of spiritually. No, it can't. Right? I'm not, in other words, I'm bowing inwardly to the one that I worship, to the one that's the most important to me. Uh, You think about, in our culture, the number of things that are worshipped, that are people bow toward. Facebook is worshipped. Phones are worshipped. We live in a culture where media is worshipped. Now, they're beaten down, but they're worshipped. When you think about worship, you you need to think in terms of, of paying attention to someone. Right? That makes sense? So that God in the na- with the nation of Israel wanted them to pay attention to him. They wanted, he, God wanted them to bow toward him. And you see that happening at times where they're bowing toward God and they're thanking him for the release because a lot of times you see in the Old Testament where Israel was walking off the trail and they come back and they repent and they're bowing toward the Lord and they're walking off the trail and the same thing over and over again. So, is true in our own lives at times, is it not, that we have that same pattern? And so, we have to be careful to think of, of bowing or surrendering, not just physically. I think there's that physical bowing, but there's also that spiritual bowing that takes place in the life of a believer. I like what A.W. Tozer says in terms of worship. He said, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. Think about that for just a moment. An everlasting preoccupation with God. You know, in a a formal setting like this, if I ask the question, is the Lord worthy of worship, what are you going to say? Yes. Here's the question. Is my worship confined to just being in a formal setting? Or is it something that I enjoy every single day of my life because nothing prohibits us from worshiping the Lord so it says here that they saw the Lord and they worshiped him just for your consideration the Bible says that every knee will what bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise of his glory Do you know that we have the privilege of bowing to him? 
we do. We have the privilege every day to surrender ourselves to the one who is only worthy of worship. And you think about the person, Ron was talking about how um, some might describe what they're going to do when they see the Lord. You know what they're going to do? They're going to bow. Every knee. Even the most defiant person who says, I don't believe there's a God. I'm never going to bow to him. They're going to bow. They're going to bow. Right? We're going to bow because he is our Lord. They're going to bow because he is Lord. Well, we move from worship to doubt in the text. I find it interesting in the text, the text doesn't reveal who was hesitant nor why they were hesitant. We know that Thomas had an issue at one point in time, and even the other disciples, the scriptures tell us. But verse 17 says, some were doubtful, some were hesitant. Um, well, what do you do with that? If you're the Lord Jesus, does he know all things? Answer, yeah. Did he know there was some hesitancy? Answer, yes. Did he know there was some doubt? Answer, yes, he's God. So how do you deal with that? You say, boys, get in line. I mean, don't you know, here I am, right? You've seen the nail prints. Get with the program. I love the fact that Jesus personally engages them. And I love the way he does it. I know this is the first time I can say that I've studied this text and saw this. First time. And I've read Matthew 28, 16 to 20, ton. But 16 and 17, connecting to 18, not so much. And so when you get to, to 18, how does the Lord deal with those in the group that are hesitant? He doesn't tell us, Scripture doesn't tell us who they were or why they were. You say, what, 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 what did the Lord do? I mean, what did he do? You know, well, the Bible tells us what he did. What it says, verse 18. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, I want you to notice how many times the word all appears in this section. All authority has been given to me where? In heaven. And I don't know if your translation has it, but it, it's in the Greek language. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Okay, that little article's there. On the earth. So, who had all authority? Christ. He had all authority. All power. That's what the word means here. All power, the Lord Jesus says, has been given to me. Where? In heaven. And on earth. Where were the disciples familiar? On earth. What was he about to tell them? Go make disciples. Where? All the nations. If someone gives you something to do. And there's a little bit of hesitancy. Isn't it nice to know. That that person who's telling you. What to do. Has all power. Do we act that way? I got to thinking about that. When we bring things to the Lord, do we act as if he's all-powerful? That he's in control? 
There's nothing I need to fear, nothing I need to worry about. You know what he's doing? He's settling the hearts of his followers. That's what he's doing. And you know what, guys? He wants that opportunity to do that in your life. Because you have fears, and you have doubts, and you have worries, and you have concerns. And you know how I know? You're human. You live life. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hand, struggle with worry? I mean, it's a real issue in your life. My grandmother, my grandma Almond, was a tiny little petite lady. Made the best fried chicken ever. I know you're going to think this is nuts, but she actually had it brought to me in New York State one time because they do not know how to cook fried chicken in the north. They are absent of the salt shaker. They do not know what a salt shaker is. Do we love salt? All God's people said, amen, right? Right after church, you're going to go to that Mexican restaurant, you're going to put salt all over those chips, right? That's just an idea. But my grandmother was about five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, sweetest, one of the sweetest, most generous ladies I've ever met in my life. But a worrier all the time. It was, just, it was a disease for her. And so when I think about how personally engaged the disciples were by the Lord, they were engaged personally by the Lord, I think, man, my God loves me that much. He knew the hesitancy with whoever it was. And you know what, guys? He's fully familiar with everything going on in your life. He understands the hesitancies, the fears that you have, and he ministers to you. He does. He cares. I wrote in my notes, you know, what the, what the Lord is telling his disciples, I have supreme authority. I'm in control. I'm in control. Um, so you look at verses 16 and 17, they really kind of come to life, don't they? And then you look at verse 18, you go, hey, I know now why he tells these guys, I have all authority, I have all power. He wasn't just throwing out words. He was throwing out things to help them. That's the kind of God that we have. We have a personal God that cares about us, that loves us. You think I think about the parents today that are raising children. What a challenge. How many of you parents hit that, hit that pillow sometimes and you're worried over your kids? Yeah, it happens, right? There's this anxiety that builds up. Hey, guys, you know what the Lord wants us to do? The Bible says, cast our cares on him. Why? What's the rest of that say? Because he cares for us. You say, yeah, I'm not going to look like a strong Christian, though. Okay, you're going to look human, right? Because we are human, and we have fears, and we have anxieties. And the Lord tells us, hey, look, he loves us so much. Cast all our cares upon him. For he cares for us. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you find those verses to be, wow, right? Be anxious for what? For nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, Paul says, with thanksgiving, 
Let your request be made known unto God. You know, when we don't do that, we're disobeying Him. So, cast that, whatever it is, to Him. You know, I always tell people, if you're going to get verse 7, you've got to do verse 6. Because verse 7 says, after I do all that, and the peace of God, which surpasses all what understanding or comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You say, well, that, what's the big deal? Guard? How big? Oh, let me tell you how big a deal that is. That word there, Paul knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> that word guard there is a picture of a Roman garrison, which is made up of 6,000 soldiers. You know what the Lord's saying Paul, through, the, through Paul? Hey, you give it to me, I got it. I got it. That's the kind of God we serve. So, he deals with their hesitancy because he loves them. Well, then we come to the part where he is going to address baptism. Verses 19 and 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of what? All the nations, baptizing them. Who are them? Who are them? The disciples, right? The, the ones who are followers of the Lord Jesus. So this is making disciples is more than just an initial decision to trust Christ. This is much more than an initial decision for someone to trust Christ. And I want to tell you something. The Lord Jesus is not giving any out to these guys. He's saying, look, you go make disciples, make followers. This is not just, hey, them coming to Christ, them coming to Christ as Savior. It's much more than that. He says, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, the disciples, in the name. Notice notice that's singular. In the name. Of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Who's them? Disciples. To observe. That word observe has the idea of following. Okay? Has the idea of guarding. It's much more than what we've made it to be. It's like, it's almost like, you know, if you're if you're disciples, well, you need to observe that. No, 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 no. This word has the idea of guarding and protecting, and follow, like really guarding, really protecting something that's significant, which it is what the Lord Jesus taught his disciples, teaching them to observe all that what I commanded you. He said, well, that what did the Lord command his disciples? Several things. I'm going to remind you of those things in a few minutes. And lo, I am with you, what? Always. Some translations have all the days, even to the end of the age. So in this section of Scripture, ah, come on, Thad. When I have to split a page, it's a problem. In this particular section, he, he deals with explaining or an explanation of their mission, of what 
he has called them to do. So he tells them, make disciples. The idea of uh, that word, matheteo, that's how you say that, refers to helping someone progressively learn the word of God in order to mature and develop other Christ-like followers. That's much bigger than we make it. We do is that we'll go out and make disciples. How many of you in this room have been discipled? You've been discipled. Hands up. I want to see. There's a lot that hadn't. There are a lot of people who didn't raise their hand. I really believe that one of the weaknesses of the church is this issue of making disciples. I believe that's true because there are a lot of different churches around us. What I mean by that is there are a whole lot of different beliefs out there. Okay, You say, well, if I walk into this church, they're going to teach the same thing as I walk into the church next door. Is that true? I know. No, it's not. So there is preeminent importance on making disciples because our culture out there is searching, listen to me, searching for the truth. And so relativism is really a big issue. Whatever's true to you is true. And whatever's true for me is true. And whatever's true for you is true. Isn't that great? We can all get along together in a big huddle and go, yay! But here's the reality. Where do we go that we might understand truth? Answer, the Bible. So I like the definition of this helps word studies. Because mathetea refers to helping someone progressively do what? Learn the word of God. Take an illustration that we're all familiar with. Does every church around us teach that marriage is between a man and a woman? Shake your head no. No, they do not. Do they honor that in every church? No, they do not. In fact, there's so much going on, and I don't want to get sidetracked for, another, for 30 minutes, but there's so much going on with our young people today in terms of identity that I'm not sure they even understand how simple it is to uncover their identity. The Bible from the very beginning, says he created them male and female. Isn't that cool? Male and female, that's it. So you're born male or you're born female. Is there a lot of discussion today in our culture about male and female and identity? And those of us who are older are going, these people are nuts. Right? That's the truth. Our reaction is like, what are you talking about? You mean you can't figure out at 16 years of age whether you're male or female? I mean, when, when my sons were born, I love the fact that we didn't find out what they were. But Caleb gave Teresa a lot of problems. So I couldn't go in there. When, boy, that was a prelude to things to come. I couldn't go in there when Caleb was born. But Micah, I could go in there. And, and I'm standing there at the head of the bed, 
And, and the doctor, anesthesiologist, and I were talking about golf. It was great. Teresa was like, come on, get with the program. But we're talking about golf. And so we're talking about golf, and, and, and Teresa has a C-section, so takes Mike out, and he says, Thad, you ready to know? I said, ready to know. Flips him around. Yep, it's a boy. Why in the world has it become so confusing? I think that's a good question. We've allowed it to. We've allowed it to. The Christian church is not outspoken enough about what God's already said. If the Lord Jesus Christ was standing here, I believe he'd say, uh, I created you male or female. So young people, listen to me. First of all, you have to say, God's the one who created you. He's the one who made you. He made you male or female. And do you know what the Lord says about creating you? That you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are exactly who you were created to be. Isn't that awesome? There is more need now for personal discipleship than in any time I've ever been a part of a church. Anytime. Because these young people are being bombarded with false messages. Not that the false messages haven't been there before, but it's unbelievable. It's like the false messages are on steroids. And these young people are just being fed over and over again what's false. And here's the way it's handled in the media and with everyone else. Well, they just need to think how they want to think, and, and it's fine. Whatever they think is true. You know what's happening now? Because the church really, I don't think, has done a really good job of this disciple-making stuff. Is you have young people who are totally confused in Christian homes who are saying to their mom and dad as a boy, I want to be a girl, and as a girl, I want to be a boy. I identify that way. And some parents are going, ah, what do I do, right? There's frustration. I get that frustration. There's frustration. The things I had to teach my boys, my dad didn't have to teach me when I was a kid. I knew I was a boy, <laughs> and I knew I liked girls. I knew I liked girls from a little guy. You know how I knew? We used to play spin the bottle, and I was like, yeah, I like that game. I didn't know anything about that game until I went to, I remember Kathy Anna's house, and I was like, hey, this is a good game. I like this game. Right? Hey, you didn't think about those things much back in those days. And you notice how it crept in slowly but surely? Because back then, if someone was in an alternative lifestyle, being gay or lesbian, as they said it back then, then it was just not discussed. It truly was in the closet. But over time, it's become more and more acceptable. Now being gay or lesbian, that's like, hey, wear a crown. Notice me. And this is an observation that I didn't mean to go into all this stuff, but it's good stuff. The, one of the observations I had is used to, you used to say, well, you know, there's two girls and one's going to look more like a guy than a girl. But now, uh-uh. If you notice the change, they don't even care. It doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And you have parents that are so confused in our culture that they are allowing their children to have 
change sexually. And they go to your schools. They do. They're there. I know. And, and they're sitting in your classrooms. And, and, and the pressure to conform and to accept is huge. And so when we say, hey, look, if we had the microphone and we went on the street and said, God created you male or female, and that's it. And one day Bruce Jenner is going to stand before the Lord as Bruce Jenner. And to even acknowledge that he has another name to me is something a believer should not do. That's just my opinion. You can throw something at me if you don't like that. But here's the reality of it. God created Bruce Jenner as a male. And he will stand before the God of all creation as Bruce Jenner. So do we need to disciple people? Answer, yes, we do. Because we want to develop mature Christ followers. And you know, listen to me, you can't do that absent of the Bible. That's impossible, okay? So take all the classes you can take. Get everything you can get through solid Bible teaching. It's a good time to plug Grace School of Theology. I, I'm taking a class right now, and I'm just loving it to pieces. And you don't have to be a graduate student to take classes at Grace School of Theology. You just have to be a person who wants to study God's Word. But I certainly have done this. I've appreciated the way Dr. Anderson handles the text, word by word by word. I never thought I'd find another crazy guy like me, but I found him. Well, all right. This particular text in 19 and 20 has been considered to be the most decisive proof of the doctrine of the Trinity, one God in three persons. This is right in front of us. Notice he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think it's important for a believer, part of the education in the Bible, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, if you take one God in three persons and you study the Bible, this is kind of how that's worked out in my mind. And, and you could probably take it and, and do it different. I don't know. But like when I think about the Godhead, I know that when I look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of discussion about God the Father. But not absent of the Son or the Spirit. Okay? When I get to the Gospels, there's a lot about the second person of the Trinity. But not absent of the Father or the Spirit. Does that make sense? But then when I get to the book of Acts and on, Acts chapter 2, it's the Holy Spirit not absent of the Father and the Son. That's helped me. I don't know what helps you, but that's helped me to understand the role of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, so this is one of the big proof texts of the doctrine of the Trinity. That's just kind of a side note. Because notice what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Circle that all. And one of the, I was talking to a member before church. I, I love the flags. You like the flags? It's a reminder of the responsibility we have to all the nations. I'd love to leave these flags up all year round. 
I really would. I don't know who's responsible for that. It's not me, but I like them. You like them? All right, so whoever's responsible for that, we like them. But he says, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Wow, that's a pretty significant thing. So right after he talks about discipling, he says, baptizing them. So it's within this, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's three things about baptism, and I mentioned them briefly earlier, but it's an identification. It's a picture of our identification with Christ through his death and his resurrection, right? We have a new life. How many of you know that? Our our life's in Christ. We have a new life. Uh, It's an issue of obedience, which is signaled here in Matthew 28. If you're going to talk about the union or identification piece, you go to Romans 6 and kind of take a look at that. You could do that this afternoon. But then also it's a witness, which I believe that's part of this passage. It's a witness. It's a witness to the people around us that we belong to Christ. Now listen, these guys had the Jordan River, right? They had other places. We have a baptistry. Wouldn't it be nice to meet at the river next week? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? That's what, listen, how many of you were baptized in a river? Look at that. There's hands. My wife was baptized in a river, all right? Baptized. When, when I went over to Israel in 94, uh, we had, they had people there who were rebaptized because they wanted to be baptized in the Jordan. Um, but when we think about it, I think baptistry, or baptism, I think a lot of times we think about this. But when, when Jesus is talking to these disciples, he's like, hey, baptize them, right? Put them under. That's the word baptizo. It means to place under. It means to submerge. And so... That's what we do here. We, we, we immerse, okay? Because we believe that that's what the Word teaches us. There are different forms of baptism that you have in different churches. And we don't want to talk about all those this morning. But we, here at Grace, we take that word baptizo, which means to immerse or to place under. And we believe that's a picture then for us. And we, we obey that picture. I like what uh, Strong's Concordance says about this. Um, To be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit implies a professed dependence upon God. There's a lot to this baptism thing. A professed dependence upon God and as well public testimony of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, guys, Being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today is not a popular thing. It's not popular. If you say, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not popular. I've had three meetings already with different candidates for baptism. And um, I've been really encouraged because I believe the ones who are being baptized to this point, the ones I've met with, truly understand. Truly understand the fact that it is a public testimony of an inward change that's happened in their life when they came to know Christ as Savior. Also, I, there was another note. I don't think I put this one in your, in your notes. But baptism um, also implies that there will be a life consecrated to the service of the Lord. Remember, baptism is not salvation, but it's an evidence of one's salvation, right? That's how we need to think of it. But it... Publicly next week, there'll be four candidates that are going to say to you, maybe not verbally, but visually say to you, 
I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we want, right? We want people to publicly declare, my life is for the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. And so he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which was publicly a way to say to the people who are around, think about this. So you have the disciples going out and they're making disciples. And let's just say for the sake of example, there's five or six of them that are there at the Jordan River who come to Christ. It's a public declaration to all those people who may be around, down by the river, that may be around saying, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. It was distinctive. So a person who's baptized, uh, who's immersed, is distinctively saying, I belong to Christ. I'm a follower of his. So that's really important. So he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, notice what he says, teaching them. And remember we said them was the disciples. Teaching them to observe. That word observe is not this casual thing. The word observe here in the context uh, means to guard it means to protect. Oh, now that's a much different thing. So he says, teaching them to guard all I commanded you. So it's not just this simple observation of what I've commanded, but they're to guard, they're to watch, they're to protect. That's the idea. Well, that's a much bigger deal. Teaching them to guard all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he, the caveat there is he's saying at the end, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what he's told them up in 18 in a different way. I have all authority. But at the end, he's saying, I'm with you even to the end of the age. But I asked myself the question, and I wanted to end with this, just to kind of get your, you thinking in this direction. Maybe this afternoon you could work on this. But notice what Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What did the Lord command his disciples? If you're going to make a list, how would that list look? Well, he told them to let their light shine. True or false? True. He told them to love their enemies. True or false? This is a true-false test. He told them not to lust. True or false? He told them to pray for laborers. True. He told them to lay up treasures on the earth. I just want to see if you're awake. <laughs> Dr. Anderson gives these true-false tests. I do not like true-false tests. They're not as easy as this one. Lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where moth or rust, what does not destroy, where thieves don't break in, and what take, steal? Does he teach them to deny themselves? You could do a whole sermon just on that one. What does it mean to deny ourselves? <laughs> do what? Everything we can't do. 
um, did he warn them about covetousness? Did he command them to forgive offenders? Forgiveness is easy, isn't it? No, it's not. I love the dialogue with Peter that the Lord has, or Peter has with the Lord. How often, Lord? You know, then poor Peter, he's thinking three or seven, maybe. And the Lord says 70 times seven, buddy. Over and over and over again. Honor marriage. Did you tell him to do that? Yeah. And he tells them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Easy commands? No. Impossible to keep? No. Not with the help of the Lord. He's the one. That helps us. My grandpa Blunt died of cancer in 1989. He was diagnosed in February with pancreatic cancer and he was dead in June. He was six foot three. All these people in my family were big. He was six foot three, he weighed about 260, and he was not fat. Um, He contracted cancer in February. He was dead in June. and I was working for Endural Paints at the time. You remember Endural Paints? I was one of the roving managers. Envision that for a minute. Those of you who know how talented I am with things like that. But I could mix some paint. And um, we were opening a store in Huntsville. And uh, my manager... Mike Card, who Bill White knows. Mike uh, said, that I want you to go up there and open that store up in Huntsville. He said, you're going to work four tens a week, and Fridays, I don't care, you can go home, whatever. I said, well, can I go to Arkansas and just come back? I'd leave about Thursday afternoon. He said, sure. So I'd go up to Arkansas every other weekend, see my grandpa Blunt. He, he was one of my heroes. Man, I just love that man. In World War II, was in a, some of the bigger fights in World War II, just... Just a man's man kind of guy, big guy. His forearms are bigger than my thighs. But, um, boy, cancer is an ugly disease. It reduced him to 90 pounds, 80, 90 pounds. But in April that year, I'd been going up every other weekend. And, and I had, I'm one of those guys, like, I'm not the greatest evangelist guy, I don't think. I don't have that gift. But, but I want to know somebody belongs to the Lord. And so, like, I'm sitting there with my granddad, and he had a hospital bed brought in. He didn't want to die in a hospital. And so he, where his chair was in the, in the den, they, they put the hospital bed. And um, I would go up there, and he got to the point where, you know, he could sit up just a little bit, but his energy was failing him. So I would sit by the bed, and we'd talk, and, and I just would ask him, Grandpa, I, just, I, I need to know that you know. And he told me, he said, son, I got saved in 1960. I have a second cousin that's with the Lord now. His name was W.A. Blunt. He was a pastor. And he used to share with my grandpa all the time. My grandpa and him, I guess, were hiking one time. My, my grandpa broke his hip. And W.A. was always sharing the gospel with him. 
when he got saved. I said, Grandpa, have you ever, like, publicly declared that? Like, you know, have you ever been baptized? So he just kind of left it, and he, you know, went back home, went back a couple weeks later. He says, hey, I've been thinking on what you talked about. I said, what's that, Grandpa? And back then, you were scared of your grandparents. Like, you were fearful. Ain't like today. And I said, uh, yes, sir, I've been... I said, um, he said, I'm really, really thinking about being baptized. He said, I want to tell my family I belong to the Lord. I said, that's great, Grandpa. So in April of that year, it was, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was around Easter weekend. Me and my dad and my uncle were in the tank together. And we baptized my grandpa. And he knew it wasn't baptism to salvation, but it was baptism because of salvation. And so I don't know, maybe you're out there today and, you know, um, my grandpa was 80 when he went to be with the Lord. I mean, you may be past 80 and never been baptized. Can I encourage you to consider that, to pray about it? You may be 20 and haven't. I don't know what your age. But I know this, that the Lord wants those that belong to him to say to others, I belong to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, and Jessica's going to come and lead us in a song. God, um, thank you for our time this morning. Um, there's a lot to consider from your word, and I know this is a text a lot of us are familiar with, but there's always something to get, get from it and gain from it. Maybe we need to be more concerned about others, and we need to get more involved in the disciple-making process, or... Maybe we're one of those that needs to be discipled and needs to reach out to someone. Whatever the case may be, God, I pray that you would just work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls today and uh, help us to see the need, not only people to be discipled, but help people to see the need to be identified with Christ through baptism. And God, we just uh, we know it's an issue of obedience as well, and so we just pray that you would just work in the hearts of your people today. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would guard and watch and protect all the things you've told us to do, that we might be um, aware of those things, and as they're brought to light, that we might submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. So we just ask for um, your Spirit to work, and all this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Be gracious to me according to your word. Your faithful love and abundant compassion be gracious to me O God.
Thank you, Jessica. I want to make mention of a couple of things before we leave uh, today. Uh, March 13th, uh, the second Sunday of our uh, missions conference, we'll have lunch on the grounds. There are uh, sign-ups for that. We really, really appreciate you signing up today. You need to sign up today. Every week I'll say you need to sign up today. But sign up today, all right? Do that. Also, we'll be showing the movie on the 6th, I think. It's advertised around the church that night. And um, I encourage you, this is a great opportunity to invite people to come be a part of that. So that's on the 6th at uh, on Sunday night. 
and it tells you about the movie inside the brochure. I think you can pick up brochures around the church. I should know that, right? I know you can. I just don't know where they are. They're on the tables out in the foyer is what I mean told. I'm glad the message was right side up and not upside down. Also, if you are visiting with us, we're thrilled that you're here today. And um, we will be having a New to Grace luncheon on that first Sunday in April. And there are signups uh, in the foyer as well for that. Uh, we're glad you got to be a part of our, our worship time today. Thank you all for participating. And it's great to see you. And I trust uh, I'll see you next Sunday. And if not here, maybe in the air or in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't that be nice? And all God's people said, Amen. And you are dismissed.